Kathleen Clark is perhaps most famously known as the widow of Tom Clark, who was executed for his role in the Easter Rising. But she was much, much more than that. She has her own story to tell as an activist, a businesswoman, a politician and the first woman to serve as Lord Mayor of Dublin. She died 50 years ago on the 29th of September 1972. And to mark that anniversary last month, a specially commissioned portrait of Clark was unveiled in the council chamber at City Hall. Joining me this evening to talk about this extraordinary, feisty, outspoken woman is Liz Gillis, historian in residence at South Dublin County Council and our researcher here on The History Show. Liz, many women who lost loved ones in the revolutionary period were thrust into public life, particularly the 1916 widows. That was the case with Kathleen Clark, but what was her life like before she met Tom Clark? Well, she was a very independent woman, um, but I think Kathleen Clark, she was going to do something regardless whether it was politics, in which case she did, but also in business, because right from the start, she's so independently spirited. But Kathleen, looking at her, her background herself, I was born in Limerick, um, her heritage, she has a connection to the Republican movement through our dad, Edward, and then through our more famous uncle, John Daly. And her mother was also a very independent woman. She was a businesswoman. So Kathleen inherits all of these strands from both sides of her family. But our uncle John Daly had been involved in the Fenian Rise in 1867. He's imprisoned. So Kathleen is very much aware of the Republican movement. She's aware of politics. So I think when you put those two strands of her life between her mother and our dad and her uncle, Kathleen is going to do something. And she actually does something in both of those, those areas because she does set up her own business, a very successful business. And then she becomes involved through Tom and the aftermath of his death, very much involved in the revolutionary movement. But she's one of nine children. The Daly family is a big family, eight girls, one boy, and uh, Ned, he was the baby. And actually, he never got to see his dad um, because his father died shortly before he was born, so hence he's named after him. And she's just entrenched in the lead-up to 1916, the aftermath of 1916, the whole revolutionary period. And how did she meet Tom Clark? Well, that was actually through our Uncle John uh, Daly. So he was a member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood. Um, Tom Clark is sworn into the IRB. And they were both involved in the Fenian Dynamite campaign, which uh, happened in England in the 1880s. And they're arrested, put on trial, and are both sentenced to penal servitude. When they're in prison, that's when they really, really meet and the friendship, you know, really solidifies. But they endured horrible treatment at the hands of the guards in Portland Prison. Now, Tom ends up spending 15 and a half years in prison and Kathleen actually posthumously published his memoir, Glimpses of an Irish Felon's Prison Life. But um, there was an amnesty campaign in Ireland and you've got Maud gone. she's involved in this because they were aware of what was going on in the prisons and how they were being treated they are successful in getting John Daly released so he comes home to Limerick comes home to a hero's welcome he is appointed to the, the, the council he actually becomes the mayor of Limerick and then that's 1896 sets up a, a bakery which Kathleen refused to work with him in um, probably just a clash of personalities there but Tom Clark is still in prison. And John Daly, when he, he returns, he is just talking about Tom Clark, Tom Clark, Tom Clark. And, and Kathleen talks about this in our book, you know, that she just wants to meet this Tom Clark because John Daly has, he just talks about him so much. And then Tom Clark is released in 1899. 
And he comes down to Limerick, you know, daily lays on this big spread, you know, here's welcoming this this Fenian this, hero. This is somebody who has been very badly treated in an, uh, for a long period in prison. Doesn't look great, let's face no, it. Rattled. No, and Kathleen talks about this and it's so funny um, because she's literally been hearing stories for the last three, four years. And what she is sort of creating in her mind in, Sean is this... Connery. Yeah, a Republican Adonis. And she is so disappointed when she actually meets him for the first time. And I just, I just want to quote her from, from our book. And she says, It was my first time meeting him. I was keenly disappointed. His appearance gave no indication of the kingly heroic qualities which Uncle John had told us about. There was none of the conquering hero which I had visioned. He was emaciated and stooped from the long imprisonment and hardship. As I came to know him, his appearance recedes into the background and the man Uncle John portrayed was revealed. By the time he left Limerick to join his mother and sister in Clemenum, we'd become intimate enough to agree to correspond with each other. So she sees beyond the, you know, the, the looks and, you know, after what he had endured for 15 and a half years, you know, it would age anyone. And ironically, Uncle John did not approve of the relationship. No, no, uh, he was totally against it. Although he adored Tom Clark, he also adored his niece, but he knew that what Tom's Clark aim in life mm. was to strike a blow for Irish freedom. And if they did have a life together, they would not live out their lives together. You know, and he didn't want that for Kathleen. Bush doesn't listen and um, because they continued their relationship. Tom went off to America and Kathleen followed him and they got married in New York in 1901. And John McBride was actually the best man at the wedding. Now, they do, they do come back from America to Ireland. She didn't, at that point, she didn't actually want to come back. I mean, she'd done very well for herself in America, hadn't she? Oh, yeah. Um, like, Kathleen Clark, very astute businesswoman. Um, she had a very successful drapery business or, or a seamstress business um, in Limerick. She winds that up, goes to New York, and she set up two businesses. Um, they ran an ice cream parlour in upstate New York, and then they ran a market garden. They'd had their first child, first son. So she sets up a life. She has a life over in, in America. But Tom, and around this time, 1906, 1907, you've got a young group emerging within the ranks of the IRB. Now, the IRB at this stage pretty much had become a talking shop of old men in a pub talking about the heyday of 1867. But these young men want to reinvigorate it, bring it back to what it was. But these men... It's Sean McDermott, it's Bonma Hobson, it's Dennis McCullough and they totally restructure it. And Tom Clark has an eye on what's happening in Ireland. He's involved with the clan over in America and he sees, here's younger versions of him and he begs her to come back. But she knows she doesn't want to come back because they have this life and if they come back to Ireland, that's it. You know, she will lose Tom to Ireland but she can't keep him in America because he will be miserable. So reluctantly she agrees to come back 1907 and when, when Tom Clark meets Sean McDermott about 1907-1908 literally that was the seeds of the Easter Horizon being sown there and then. Mm. And from a business perspective is she very much involved in the tobacconist's business? Oh yeah, Kathleen Clark could not stay idle. Um, so, you know, they, they set up a tobacconist shop firstly in Amin Street. Uh, the building is actually still there but then the more famous of the shops is number 75 Parnell Street and it's on the cor- was on the corner of Parnell Street and O'Connell Street. And this becomes a, a hub, a Republic hub. You've got all 
all sort of the men that will emerge as the Republican leaders they're going there she's running the Irish uh, Freedom newspaper she's watching what's going on she's facilitating Tom you know allowing this shop to be used and the thing is Tom Clark was only released on licence so it is being watched the premises are being watched by the police plus she's also on the radar because of who she is her family connections she's also immersing herself in the Republican movement because 1914 you have the setting up of Cumann Amon and she's a founder member of Cumann Amon she's a member of the Art Crave the central branch she later becomes the president of that branch so she has another two kids she's running two tobacco in the shop she's involved in what Tom's getting involved with and then she's you know involved in the women's revolutionary movement as well I can imagine that when you know the Easter week the week of the of the rising and uh, Tom Clark is heading out the door to take part, that she would want to be with him, she would want to have a rifle in her hand, she would want to be by his side. Would that be the case? Or, um, oh, yeah. He, presumably he try, he had to dissuade her. Yeah, um, and I just, I just often think, what would it have been like if Kathleen Clark had been in GPO or Moore Street? I don't think they would have surrendered. She wouldn't have <laughs> let them surrender. But she wants to be with Tom. And, um, but see, he had a very different role for, there was a specific job for Kathleen. She had to be the link. She had to be the link between the old and the new because he knew the leadership of the IRA or the IRB would be wiped out. But his whole thing with the 1916 rising is that it wasn't going to be another you know, 1848 rebellion. It wasn't going to be, you know, a flash in the pan. This was going to be the spark that night the flame of the revolution. So he gives her gold, about £3,000 worth of gold and names that she is to contact um, in the IRB if they're, if they're still free, if they haven't been killed. And she is to reorganise. So when he, he leaves on the weekend of the Easter Horizon, you know, she's she says goodbye to him and she's accepted this is the last time she will see him. It turns out to not be the case, but she was prepared for that. He had prepared her for that, but specifically her role was to reorganise, which she, she does on her. Now, she doesn't just lose her husband, she loses her baby brother as well. Yeah, like if if we look at what happens in 1916, Kathleen is not just a widow or the, or the sister of, of leaders that are executed. Um, Kathleen herself is arrested after 1916, taken to Shift Street Barracks. And the thing is, like she she's accepted. You know, she knows that it's over, that the, the and rebels... And she's pregnant. She is pregnant, which she, she Tom didn't know. But she's sort of accepted that Tom has been killed at some stage in the Rising. But then she gets word that her husband then wants to see her in Clemainham Jail because that's where he's waiting the sentence of death. And if you can imagine, like, if, if, if it was me, you know, and I get to see the love of my life one last time, I would be running up to the place. And, and she goes to Clemainham Jail and the cell door is open and she starts to, like, have, like, berating for, you know, why did you surrender? You told me you weren't going to surrender, but pretty much I thought I'd never see you again and he got her standing in front of me. And he's then trying to explain to her, well, I didn't want to surrender. They sort of made me surrender. There was a vote taken on it. And what you see in those moments, like, this is a real marriage that's, that's happening in front of you, despite the fact that going to get shot like in a couple of hours that's on the sword of May and Tom is executed and she's back in Clemainham that night um, because Ned Daly who was commandant of the garrison in the forecourt 25 years old he's executed on the 4th of May now she couldn't tell Tom that she was pregnant because she didn't want to unnerve him she's like when she sees him in the cell it's like he is prepared to go to his death and maybe if he knew would he try to get clemency or the sentence reprieve but she couldn't do that what he had endured for 15 and a half years she couldn't do that to him again so Ned is executed on the 4th of May her uncle John who was 
traumatised at the loss of Tom Clark, Ned Daly and Sean McDermott. If she loses Sean McDermott as well, he's executed on 12 because he was like a, a son to her. And then she lost her baby as well. So mm. that massive loss that she's endures, she has to put that to one side because Tom had a role for her and she had to do what he had asked her to do. So 1918 uh, comes along and along with a number of other prominent members of Sinn Féin, she's arrested in this spurious German plot. So this is just before the election, the election of, of December of 1918. She's imprisoned alongside Countess Markovic and Maud Gon. McBride, uh, now, sorry, I'm, I'm, I can't almost avoid laughing because I'm aware of what your answer was going to be. This one. She, she, she didn't like the Countess. Are you certain you didn't like her at this at this point? No, uh, the Countess really gets on her nerves. Um, so if we think back to 1916, like Kathleen Clark is just, you know, she's she's she has terrible worries on her because she was rent from her children in 1916. She's rent from her children in 1918, and you know she is constantly just trying to find out where her kids are. Her kids okay? Who has them? And then Countess Markovich just keeps swanning into her cell, and um, Countess Markovich is so flamboyant, and she keeps flicking her ash. And this is something that really gets on Kathleen's nerves. And eventually, she bars her from her cell because she's not respecting Kathleen's wishes. And then you've got these scenes, you know, you can. And she writes all this in, in a series of letters which are very, very so funny. So vividly and you just have to laugh and you can imagine mm. like because Countess is this woman you know, who's quite prepared to die but you know won't take on Kathleen Clark, you know. So it shows the personality. And But then a, a real friendship emerged between the two women because when they are released Countess goes to live with Kathleen Clark. So, she, you know, when, one thing about Kathleen Clark is like there's your boundaries. Don't cross those boundaries because if you do I will let you know. And that's what you see with Kathleen throughout her life. <laughs> But poor Countess Markovic um, suffers the wrath of Kathleen. <laughs> now, she obviously, you know, she's not going to step away from this uh, yeah. after the, uh, you know, after the first Thole meets in the mansion house and all of that kind of stuff. So she she keeps going. She maintains her activities. She does. Um, and she actually thought that she would have uh, been put up for election once the candidates in 1918. Now, she is chosen over a, a man. But she's very much involved at the local level. So you have Sinn Féin uh, represents being elected to local council. Um, Kathleen Clark is one of them. She's done a lot of work on the ground. Um, when the Dáil Courts, the Republican Courts are set up, she's a judge in the Republican Courts. Also, she's a founder member of the Irish White Cross, which is very, very successful alongside Anya Kant. And because of who she is, you know, she's still connected to coming and on. Our house is getting raided constantly. And then in 1921... You have Countess Markovic being elected in the 1918 general election. But then you have in 1921, that general election, another five women are elected to the doll and Kathleen Clark is one of those women. And uh, after the Civil War then, uh, what does she do? I mean, she's anti-treaty. Um, what does she do after the Civil War? Oh, she's still very much uh, involved in uh, political life. She is a founder member of Fianna Fáil, and she had been elected, you know, in the general elections that followed uh, the Civil War. She's elected and then she loses her seat. She's re-elected. But um, she is then, she's actually appointed, she becomes a senator. 
and she remains in that position until that's abolished in 1936. She's still very much involved in, you know, uh, organisations where, you know, they're, they're making real efforts to improve the lives of people on the ground. Um, so doing a lot of work like that and continues her work with other women that she had been involved with. But her role as a senator is, is a hugely important role that she takes full advantage of and uses as a platform to speak out and raise issues that she feels need to be addressed. How does she become Lord Mayor of Dublin? Oh, there's a whole thing story about this um, because she actually ran for, you know, election quite a number of times. But by the time she, she is elected, you actually have members of her party, Fianna Fáil, actually trying to block her election because Kathleen had been so outspoken against De Valera and, and other people that it was like a, a, a punishment. So Alfie Bourne, it's actually Alfie Bourne, the outgoing Lord Mayor, it's his casting vote that makes Kathleen, you know, that it's she has the winning vote and she becomes Lord Mayor in 1939, first woman in Dublin. She, but she won't wear the chain because no. it's, it's King Billy's. Yeah, so, oh God, again, here's Kathleen coming in for her own and um, being Kathleen. So you have to, she won't wear the robes, um, she won't wear the chain. So, because, as I said, it was given by King Billy. So you have to, she has to get her own chain of office. And it's a beautiful chain, very simple. And actually, Karina Nidali, when she was Lord Mayor in 2016, that was the chain that she wore. But she also redecorates the mansion house. And the first thing to go is the portrait of Queen Victoria. Like, Jordan, or, or, her, her There was still of a office. portrait of Queen Victoria in the mansion house in 1939. Oh yeah. Good yeah. God. And it makes the papers and while she's prepared to leave the portraits of the Lord Lieutenants there because she feels like they're just minions of the Queen. Um, no, Queen Victoria, she has to go. At what point does she become disillusioned with the Ireland of the 19, 1930s and 1940s, 1930s in particular I suppose, um, even though Fianna Fáil have taken over her party? It's, it's for that reason. That she becomes disillusioned because Fianna Fáil, they were the Republican Party and she felt that Fianna Fáil had betrayed its roots. As in, you know, the focus now wasn't on getting United Ireland. You know, she, she called Eamon de Valera out when he attends a, a meeting of the League of Nations that, you know, while you had the whole of Europe there, you should have been telling them that, OK, this is 1938, uh, Britain still has control of our ports and so on. And she is publicly attacked by the members of Fianna Fáil. You also have in the 40s especially, there's the bombing campaign uh, carried out by the IRA in England and she doesn't agree with this because she believes the Second World War is happening it's the wrong time but down in the south you then have the executions being carried out by de Valera's government of IRA prisoners many of whom some of whom had been veterans of 1916 and she opens up the mansion house so they can use that as a base for the reprieve committees for example Patrick McGrath and Thomas Hart they're awaiting execution and she's writing to her, her political colleagues and she's saying, you know, give them a reprieve and you have Tomás McCourton's son, you know, he was sentenced to death and she speaks out on his behalf. Now, where they're not successful with Hart and McGrath, they are successful in getting, you know, McCourton reprieved and she does become just so disillusioned that she, she resigns from Fianna Fáil. Um, they accept it, um, it seems, very gladly and although she's not as active in sort of the big politics 
she does not give up. She is politically active on the ground. She is still making cases for people who don't have a voice. She's speaking for people who don't have a voice and she's making an effort and making a difference for people whose issues of how everyday life is really affecting them. Kathleen Clark was always the voice for them. She never gave it up. Yet somebody who bitterly opposed Britain in Ireland, Britain's rule in Ireland, Britain's involvement in Ireland, towards the end of her life she moves to Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, she moves over and lives with her son. It's just, it's it's sort of sad when you think about that, that, you know, she was so dedicated to her free Ireland and she ends up across the water. But she does make a triumphant return on the 29th of September 1972. This is why we're talking uh, talking about her because she's dead, died 50 years ago. She had a good innings, 94 years of age, yeah. but she gets a state funeral. She does, one of three women. To, to actually be given that honour. And again, the newspapers, there's lovely tributes to her in the newspaper. Um, there's one guy that actually, he, he writes in this little letter saying, you know, he, he just was so impressed and touched by the love that her and Tom had. And she is the Ireland's greatest ever woman. And the photographs of the funeral, there's like hundreds of people, you know, just there at the, the cemetery and stuff. And she's buried out in Dean's Grange Cemetery. OK, well, if you have been infected by Liz's enthusiasm, very obvious enthusiasm for Kathleen Clark, and how would you not be? You can read more about her in her biography. It's called Revolutionary Woman, My Fight for Irish Freedom. It's published by O'Brien Press. It was edited by her niece, Helen Lytton. Liz, thank you very much indeed for coming on to The History Show and discussing why you love this passionate, formidable woman, Kathleen Clark, who died 50 years ago this year. Thanks a million. That's all we've time for on this evening's programme. Details of all our items, as well as podcasts, are available on our website, rte.ie forward slash history show. My thanks tonight to Mark McGrath on sound. The History Show is a Pegasus production for RTE. For now, from me, Miles Dungan, and producer Lorcan Clancy, goodbye and thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at RTE History Show.